I encourage you to take your Bible, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 as we talk about anticipating and discerning truth from error. The Edict of Milan in 313 AD, during Constantine's reign over the Roman Empire, he legalized Christianity. Christianity moved from a religion that was highly persecuted and put down And now Constantine, because he was, many people believe, we're not sure he was a believer, he decided to make it the religion of the Roman Empire. Well, as soon as he did that, the world began to dilute Christianity. And we know it took all the way up till 1,200 years later in the Reformation, when Martin Luther wrote those 95 theses and nailed them to the the door there in Wittenberg, Germany. They wrote those that the church, once again, would have revival and be returned to its foundation, its roots. But you know, in 2 Peter chapter 2 here, we're going to see that Peter already says before this edict in 3.13 that already the world had crept into the church. We see many, many, and I could stay stand here for an hour and talk about attacks outside the church upon the gospel of Christ, deceptions of the world, One of them we'll just highlight today is that young people are preyed upon to consider changing their gender. School districts, even here in Iowa, are passing policies that deceive and take away parental rights. If a child wants to use a different name in one of the policies, it says parents don't have to be notified a different name than their birth name. If a child wants to use different pronouns, parents are not to be notified. If a child wants to use the restroom different from his biological sex, the school permits this without parent notification. Now think about that. A full driver's license in the state of Iowa is available age 17 with written approval of a parent or guardian. A driver must have completed 10 hours of supervised driving with two hours at night. The driver must have had an intermediate license for at least 12 months and a clean driving record for the last 12 months to get a license in the state of Iowa to drive. The legal age to drive to, to drink alcohol is 21 years of age here in Iowa. A teenager who is 17 years of age can vote in the primary election if she or he turns 18 before the general election. But if you want to take puberty blockers or hormones, you can take them and get help doing it in school districts in America without parental notification. That should cause us to pause and think about that. We think about the definitions that the people use of words. They keep changing the meaning of them to normalize bad behavior. Then we see attacks within the church, the church at large, the universal church. Warren Wiersbe said, fake teachers arise when the church begins to embrace the worldly culture around it. Pastors are being called out and fired because of abusive leadership practices. Power hungry. It made me sick to read the Southern Baptist Convention uh, sexual abuse report. Over 700 incidences over decades that were hidden and tamped down by the leadership to avoid hurting the name of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, it's hard to believe some of the things that you read in those stories. Greed. We read about greed, exorbitant salaries. I don't often mention names, but Jesse Duplantis, who's a pastor down in New Orleans, he had a video that I watched this week. He said God told him that 
his givers need to give him $54 million for a Gulfstream jet. Because Jesus did, if Jesus were alive today, he wouldn't ride on a donkey. He needs an airplane, right? Creflo Dollar asked his congregation to give him $65 million for a new Gulfstream jet, but settled for a used one instead. We could go on and on, but in the coming messages out of 2 Peter, we'll sprinkle in some of the false teachings, false motives of people who want to share the gospel on their terms from time to time. So take your Bible. I already have you in 2 Peter chapter 2, but flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and keep your finger in 2 Peter 2, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the week doing a study on false teachers, and you'd be amazed how many sections of Scripture there are just in the New Testament. And I'll sprinkle those in as we go through uh, the next two chapters of 2 Peter. But here's what Paul said as he was waiting to be executed. One of his last sayings. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's charging young Timothy as a pastor to continue on after he dies. He says, I charge you in the presence of God, verse 1, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word today. Let's pray and dedicate this time to the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts that I have be acceptable in your sight. Give me the clarity and freedom to proclaim your word today. May they be your words and not mine. And Lord, I pray that we would all be open-minded and listening to what you have to teach us and challenge us and encourage us through your word today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter knew that the truth of God's word and the false doctrines of the heretics simply could not coexist. There could be no compromise on his part any more than an oncologist would ignore a cancerous tumor in someone's body. Something has to be done. In the early church, especially Paul and the apostles, they didn't tolerate false teaching. They, call out, they called out the names of the false teachers and they separated themselves from them. Peter's going to give us, through the rest of this book, some characteristics of false teachers and how to be fruit inspectors of false teacher and learn the methods they use so we can spot them and expose them with their teaching. Many times they're in the church and they come in with sheep's clothing. They're like ravenous wolves inside their hearts. Jesus warned his disciples about false teachers in the church. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. John MacArthur said this, nothing is more wicked than for someone to claim to speak for God and to the salvation of souls, when in reality the false teacher speaks for Satan to the damnation of souls. Sin is sin. There's no way to rank sin, but I want to say that 
probably, to me, the most heinous sin of all is for some false teacher to present and misrepresent the truth of God's word, leading people to eternity separated for God in hell forever. They mix the truth sometimes with their own truth. They leave out portions of the truth to fit their own agenda. Sad to say there's going to be more people in hell than in heaven. So we're going to look this morning at three aspects of false teachers, and I encourage you to take out your notes and fill in these blanks. The first aspect is this. False teachers are among us. False teachers are already among us. Peter says, first of all, in 2 Peter 2.1, that they were among the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But false prophets also rose among the people. False teaching has occurred throughout church history. As I've looked at church history, I don't think there's ever been a time where there wasn't some kind of false doctrine. In the early church, it was Montanism, it was Gnosticism, it was Marcionism. Those were the top three that they had to battle and face coming out of the first century. Take note that Peter's tone changes sharply from chapter one to chapter two. In chapter one, Peter's describing the foundation of our belief on the sure word of truth as we closed out last Sunday's message. Now he shows the contrast. Notice that word, but. But, he's pivoting. Peter is calling out the false teachers and false teaching and deliberately warns of the consequences these false teachers will face and so will those who follow these teachers and their teaching. The problem with true Christ followers and their churches today is that we accept heretical teaching and we don't call it out as we should. Peter goes on to say, among the people, speaking of the Israelites and the false prophets found in the Old Testament. Take your Bible and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 13. As I read this this week, I was thinking, wow, how God made a delineation, how God wanted the purity of the truth to be protected. And look what he did in Deuteronomy 13. He gave the Israelites an idea of how to spot a false prophet and what to do about it. In Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, verse 1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, God said, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 4 in that chapter says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you should purge the evil from your midst. Strong language. But he, God is jealous for the purity of his truth and his word. Another thing under this point is that false teaching is always with us, as I said. It's always with us. You can count on it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master 
who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Peter's saying that false teachers are with us presently, and they're going to continue until Jesus returns. The ultimate will be the Antichrist and the false prophet in the tribulation period. Their motives, these false teachers, are that of self-promotion, greed, power, and control. False teachers don't talk much about sin or repentance or holiness because they long to be relevant, they long to be accepted and viewed as favorable. They oftentimes spend their sermons focused on improving self-esteem and preaching to the felt needs of the people. Now, those things are not wrong to do from time to time, but if you don't balance it all out with the whole counsel of God, then your diet of spiritual food is going to be very uh, low-key and not good and not healthy and not well-rounded. So we see, we see that that's what they're after, to develop self-esteem and meet felt needs. I remember a parishioner in my former church, our pastor that I served under, I was the associate pastor for eight years before becoming the senior pastor. Our senior pastor there was nine years, and one of the parishioners came to me toward the end of his time, and he said, I don't understand it. When I leave church after hearing Pastor Linnell's message, I very rarely feel encouraged. He always wanted to feel good at the end of the service. And sometimes we want to be very encouraging, but sometimes the word challenges us. Sometimes the word brings conviction. Sometimes the word points out things in our life that we don't always like. In Titus 1.9, this is the challenge for pastors and elders. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. A true shepherd of the flock must continually be on guard and constantly studying, proclaiming, and defending the truth. Notice back in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter, secretly bring in. Those words, secretly bring in, means to bring alongside, to infiltrate, to creep in, to slip in without being seen, seen sneaking in under false pretenses. Destructive heresies, what's that all about? Well, it's contrary teaching to the gospel that leads people to hell. In classical Greek, it means that these false teachers create sects or divisions, dividing the church up by their teaching, purposely divisive to lead them to utter ruin in hell for all of eternity. In Romans chapter 1, I encourage you to turn over there. In Romans chapter 1, look at some sections of the Bible here today about false teaching. If you want to know exactly where our culture is today, these verses in Romans 1, 18 through 23 encapsulate where we are. What is the temperature? What is our culture like? In Romans 1, it says, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him. Notice that, for although they knew God, for although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Back in verse 1, talks about even denying the master. It says in these verses, they knew God, but they suppressed the truth. They wouldn't give thanks to him. They wouldn't pay homage to him. They wouldn't get under his authority. He says there in Peter this way, even denying the master. In summary, they worship the creation more than the creator. They fear man more than they fear God. They fear man will not praise them or support them more than teaching the truth, more than being right with God and pleasing him alone. Notice the word even that Peter uses there is an unthinkable and very prideful statement. They knew God but rejected him and his truth. You see the use of the word denying here. Denying is in the present tense, meaning that it's not a one-time act of denying God, but it's an ongoing denial and walking away from the truth and rejecting God. The word picture of master here is that of a wealthy landowner buying slaves and the slaves showing allegiance to their master. The false teacher is, is denying to submit under God's authority, denying him to be Lord over their lives. And Peter says they face swift destruction, which means very quick in, in and eminent in hell away from God. Jesus said in John 12, 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day, the judgment day, when we all stand before God. Now it's interesting, Peter uses the word bought them in verse one. Bought them. Does it mean that these false teachers were once saved? And then they walked away from God? Are they just backslidden? Or some people, there's a lot of views on this and spend a lot of time reading on it. One view is they were saved but lost their salvation, but this contradicts many other verses of Scripture. Another one, bot means that the Lord created them, not that he saved them, but that's reading into the meaning of the word agorazo or redeem in that verse. The false prophets merely said they were bought by Christ but this is reading into the verse as well. Most likely what this means is that Christ made it possible for them to be saved. For God so loved the world, everyone could come to faith in Christ. It's available, but they never availed themselves of that opportunity. John MacArthur counters this in a strong argument for limited atonement, that Jesus died only for the elect who would be saved and not for the false teachers were not true believers in Christ. But nonetheless, they were not believers. They had not accepted Christ. False teachers are better known for what they deny than what they affirm. They deny the inspiration of the Bible, the sinfulness of man, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, salvation by faith and grace alone, and even the reality of eternal judgment. And here's what you really have to understand when you're looking and talking to people who are giving you false teachings. What do they say about Christ, the deity of Christ? May them, if you dig into their teachings, deny the deity of Christ. For example, the Mormons believe that Jesus was a created being that becomes a God. The Jehovah's Witnesses also believe that he was a created being. And so you have to look into 
What, when they say they believe in Christ, what does that mean? So here's our application. Be aware of counterfeiters of the truth. Be aware. They're all around us. And we need to be, as we'll see at the end of the message, give you some tools to be able to help you spot counterfeiters and not fall into false teaching. We have to know the truth well, and when we do, our heart will clue us in on what is false as the Holy Spirit exposes it to us. Our second point here is that false teachers have a crowd of loyal followers. Loyal followers. Look at verse 2 of 2 Peter 2. And many, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Strong language Peter's using here. The motive for the followers to follow false teachers is itching ears. Itching ears. We just read that in our scripture reading, and I'll repeat that in 2 Timothy 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How many of you had poison ivy in your life, right? And you know what it's like to scratch it and itch it. And about 10 seconds later, you want to do it again and do it again and do it again until you get medicine, until you get over that itching. These people continually have itching ears wanting to keep growing in this false teaching and looking for people that will uh, think like they do and feed them what they want to hear. The false teachers, they use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. They talk about salvation and inspiration and great words of the Christian faith, but they do not mean what we mean. Immature and untaught believers hear these preachers or read their books and think these men are sound in the faith, but they are not. Get the definitions of what they mean by the terms they use. Many times, false teachers are good at using the same words, but have different meanings. And they hide the truth of what they really mean to the average person. In verse 2, he talks about they have followers among them that get involved in sensuality. And that's one of the key components for many false teachers, sensuality. It's someone who's involved in habitual sexual immorality. They lack self-control in this area of their life. And it's interesting, in the Greek, it's written in the plural form, which amplifies the fact that these false teachers use many forms, extreme forms of lewdness and unrestrained sexual sins. I remember when news came out about Ravi Zacharias, and as I mentioned, the Southern Baptist Convention, a number of people who've abused others. And in the documents received from one of the abusers that Ravi Zacharias preyed upon, she was told that if, he, if she told anything about their sexual relationship, it would cause him to lose the ability to share the gospel and would cause people to end up in hell. And that was the thing that he hung over those people. That's horrendous. You see the power that he portrayed with his sensuality. It says there in verse 2, many will follow them. Many will follow them. And we need to understand that. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It says there in verse 2, 
the way of the truth will be blasphemed. The denying of Christ's deity, the denying of the transformative power that comes from preaching the true gospel and incorrectly teaching doctrine from scripture will bring spiritual wreckage. And because of that wreckage, the gospel is oftentimes rejected by the world when they see all these false teachers and the wreckage that it creates and the problems. You see, we as Christians, we don't live up to what we say we believe. So Paul challenged us in Philippians 2. We're never going to be perfect, but I love his words in Philippians 2, and it should be the challenge for all of us as believers. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'll pause there. That's a parent's favorite memory verse for their kids, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That should be a verse we should all memorize, right? Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That should be our goal. That should be our heartbeat. Blameless means that we make things right when we do things wrong. We ask for forgiveness. We restore something that maybe we've damaged or taken away. We see the motive for the false teachers in these verses, verse 3, is to be greedy. Greed. 2 Peter 2, 3, And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Greed is the unbridled love of money and wealth. Greed is the unbridled love of money and wealth. Peter says they will exploit their followers to satisfy their fleshly desires. Exploit means to do business in, to traffic in, to realize gain from. They use false words. It's interesting in the Greek, plastos. This is where we get our word plastic. Have you ever happened into a room somewhere and something looks like wood or china or, or metal? And then when you touch it, it's actually plastic. Sometimes plastic can be deceiving. He's saying here these are false words that they are using. It can fool you. The false teacher's theology is not really based in biblical truth, although they use the Bible, but it's molded by false reasoning and eisegesis to appear authentic and genuine. What is eisegesis? It's going to the scriptures with already a premeditated idea, agenda, or thought, and cherry-picking verses to support what you believe. See, we believe in exegesis. We go to the Word, we pray, and say, God, reveal the truth to us. We don't have an agenda and he reveals it to us as we read it through the Holy Spirit, and then we are to obey that truth that God reveals to us. In Colossians 2.8, he says, see to, it, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Notice what he says there in verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, 
They are upsetting the faith of some. They're upsetting the faith of some. Three things that false, false teachers are all about. They may not have all three of these characteristics, but they probably have at least two. Love for money and wealth is one. Pride and immorality. Those are things that are characteristic of their lives. But the application here is this, is to be aware of those who promise more than they can provide. The other day, I got a phone call. On my phone, I don't often list, you know, take a phone call from a number I don't know, but I took the call and it said, Publishers Clearinghouse, you have just won an award. Push one to find out what your reward was. And I thought, I didn't even try to sign up for this thing, right? We got to be careful. There's so many things out there to promise more than they can provide. Third and last today, false teachers will face destruction. They will face destruction. We need to, we need to understand this. We need to accept this fact. Not only the people that follow them are going to head to destruction, but I believe that there's rewards in heaven. I think we can make a case that there's degrees of punishment in hell for people who do the most heinous things. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, as we said. Verse 3, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Do not be deceived. Manipulation is the goal. Manipulation. Control. Control over you. They want to control their followers, exploit them, teaching them false theology in order to satisfy their own desires at the expense of those who follow them. They want to be served and not serve others. And if you read the scriptures, Jesus was just the absolute opposite of false teachers. He washed the disciples' feet. He said, those who are least among you are the greatest. He taught them to be servant leaders. And we have to be alert to false teachers coming in, staying, and we do that by staying in the truth of the word to be able to spot it and discern it and know how to deal with it. And then do not be deceived, utter destruction will come. God decreed their death in eternity past when he knew who the false teachers would be. It says in these verses, and in the book of Jude, false teaching began in the garden when Satan inhabited the serpent and the serpent went to Eve and said, did God really say that if you eat of this tree, you will surely die? And that's where it all started, right? And God judged the false teacher in Genesis 3.15 for deceiving Eve and then Adam to sin. Notice what he says in Genesis 3.15. I will put hatred, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. It was Mary, Jesus Christ, the prediction of the gospel coming about. Satan will bruise Jesus' head, but Jesus will bruise, or Satan will be destroyed because of Jesus and he will have victory over death, but Satan will bruise his heel by crucifying him on the cross. Don't let God's patience and grace law you into believing judgment will not come. It will be swift. It will be destructive. This verse says God is not idle. He is adding to their wrath day by day as they continue to distort the word of God and deceive people. Matthew 18, 6. Jesus had a really strong statement. He said, but whoever causes one of these little ones, children, 
who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. God had love, compassion for the little ones, the children who are innocent, who are being taught. It's a reminder to us as parents and grandparents that our kids are being taught things. It's just a matter of who it is that's doing the teaching. And we need to be the most influential in their lives, sharing the word of God with them. And that's why Awana and Chaos Student Ministry is so vitally important. Well, God's justice never sleeps and he will never be late. Their judgment was sure, even though it had not yet come. The trial was over, but the sentence had not yet been executed. It would not linger or slumber. Peter affirmed it'll come in its due time. So here's the application. Be aware of where false teachers are leading you. Ask the question, what's the end game? Where are they wanting me to go? What, what is the level of spiritual growth supposedly they want me to have? What is the purpose behind all these teachings? That's always a good question to ask of myself or anyone else who opens the word of God. Here's some quick verses and tips for being a discerning Christian and not falling for false teachings. These are not in your notes, but I encourage you to to, uh, just write them down if you would. Compare who they say Christ is to the Bible. Compare who they say Christ is to the Bible. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Start with what they believe about Jesus Christ. That's what John is saying here. Explore what they say is the deity of Christ. And what do they mean by that? Does that match up with the word of God? Another thing you could do is know the truth and check every teacher's teaching to see if it matches what the Bible teaches on that subject. I just think of the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians who ever lived wrote many books in the New Testament, and we're indebted to him for his writings. But he went to preach in Berea, and in Acts 17, 11, after he preached, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. That is to be your litmus test. Does that match up to the word of God? In 1 Thessalonians 5.20, it says, do not despise prophecies. Verse 21, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Test, put it to the test. Check it out with the word of God. 
Thirdly, learn and understand how to study the Bible for yourself to discern the truth. And I'm just going to give you a few things, and we'll talk more about these as we go through. But how do we prepare? How do we, how do we uh, spot the counterfeit? You do it by making sure you know the truth. And when you come across someone on TV saying something that makes your soul a little bit uneasy and uncertain, that's the Holy Spirit saying, you better check this out to see what they're saying is true. We do that, first of all, pray, as I said earlier, and ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to teach and reveal the truth when we're getting ready to read the Bible in a selected passage. We need to read the passage several times so we can get a good understanding of what it says. And then ask the questions, how, what, why? What is the writer saying? What's the main idea of this passage? How does this apply to me? What action do I need to take or what attitude or motive do I need to ask God to change in me? What do I need to obey? What promise do I need to claim based on whatever the particular passage is talking about? Then study the context surrounding the passage. It's very important to know the verses before and the verses after, to understand the geography, if you can, and the culture and the setting for the particular passage you're looking at. Understand the contextual setting. And then look for cross-references. What do other parts of the Bible say in relation to the passage of Scripture you're reading? What else does the Bible say about that theme or that idea? And use good study tools. If you need help with this, there's so many good study tools that are free online. One of my favorite is Blue Letter Bible. Another one is Bible Gateway. There's just a plethora, version. There's all kinds of things, tools out there that would help you. And then write out, journal what was taught. Write it down, your thoughts and what God wants you to do as a result of studying this passage of Scripture. The end of that is you have spiritual growth and you will have discernment. You'll be able to spot the counterfeit truth. A couple books I would recommend, I didn't bring them out of my library, but Rick Warren has a great book, Bible Study Methods, 12 Ways You Can Unlock God's Word. We did that in a connect group about 10 years ago. There's all kinds of different approaches on inductive Bible study and deductive and ways to word studies, ways to study the Word of God. Another book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart. Those are some great books to help you become a good studier of the Word. But as we close today, here's our key thought. Our key thought is this, that Christ followers must use the tools of discernment to walk straight in the truth of God's will. Remember, the prophet said, don't look to the left, don't look to the right. Stay focused in the center. We have to stay true to the word of God and what God says and not get distracted, not head down rabbit trails. We have to guard against that. And we do that with tools and discernment. Sadly, there are those who believe the false teachers will be judged with them. Believing the experts can absolutely kill you sometimes. On March 20th, 1980, Mount St. Helens in Washington, a supposedly dormant volcano, began to quake and rumble. The local population was evacuated to a, quote, safe, unquote, distance of eight miles away. Later, the side of the mountain began to bulge. 
times, scientists were not alarmed because past research of volcanoes indicated that there'd never been a volcano that blew apart sideways. Well, then on May 18th, the side of Mount St. Helens exploded, shooting tons of debris downhill at the speed of 150 miles per hour. A minute later, the volcano exploded upward with the equivalent power of 500 atomic bombs. 230 square miles of forest were devastated and 57 people lost their lives. The scientists had assumed that natural events would continue as they had before, but they were wrong. Many false teachers, they're out there preaching. They don't think there's going to be any destruction. They're not going to have to face a judgment, but they're going to be sadly wrong. God is patient. He's graceful at this period, but he's also, as we read, swift and destructive when his wrath comes down. Let's bow for prayer. I just encourage you this week just to think about how you can discern truth from error in teaching, to be discerning, to have God help you when you hear things and you know it doesn't feel right in your soul to investigate and check it out for yourselves and to avoid the heartache and the consequences of so many people that are being led and have been led down the roads of false teachers and false teaching. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you you give us clarity. We thank you you give us discernment. We thank you for the power of your word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder, going right down to our heart and helping us to know and understand what the truth is. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, that he illumines our minds and helps us to understand and gives us the truth. Lord, help us. Help us to be so committed to the truth, Lord, that it becomes so obvious when we see the counterfeit. And help us to avoid following those rabbit trails, those roads that could... Take us off the path that you want for us for a short period of time or a long period of time that will cause us to stray away, but help us to stay true to your word and stay straight on the path. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.